Let's pray together once again. Father, now as we turn our attention wholly and completely to your word. Father, I know that I'm not worthy. I know that I'm not able. But God, you're able. Lord, there are those of us here this morning or listening from wherever on the internet. God, we need to be encouraged because we're just on our last rope, Lord. There's those of us, Father, who need to be convicted because we're walking in paths of sin that we ought not to walk. Lord, there's those of us who need to be challenged to step out of our comfort zone and to follow You wholeheartedly. Father, there's those of us who are mourning and desperately need Your comfort. The most amazing thing, God, is all of that is available through the power of Your Word. So, Spirit, in spite of a foolish servant, would You speak to us through Your Word? Lord, we long to hear from You this morning. We ask that You might speak as we, Your children, are humbly listening. Would You add Your richest blessing to the reading, to the teaching, to the proclamation of Your Holy Word? We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, this morning we are going to resume our time in Exodus. So let's get up to speed as to where we are. I know that we had Scott Dawson with us last week. He did a wonderful job. This week we go back into the story of Exodus. We have already walked through Moses and the tragedy that took place around Moses' birth, all of the Hebrew boys being killed because Pharaoh was scared of the Israelites. Moses is preserved. He gets to be 40 years old. Remember, he has a fit of anger. He, he kills a man and he runs and hides. And so he spends 40 years as a shepherd. The Lord has now called him back and God has been growing Moses and developing Moses' faith. He continues to go before Pharaoh nine different plagues, each of those plagues in a cycle of three. These plagues are also a mercy to bring along all of the Israelites. It's not only Moses who is growing in his faith through these plagues. It is the Israelites. And how we see that is what God does in each individual plague. So if you'll remember, God began to make a distinction between the people of Egypt and the people of Israel. But God alone made the distinction. So in each of those nine plagues, remember when the lights got turned off, God said there would be darkness throughout the land and there was darkness everywhere except in the land of Goshen. You remember when God said there'd be terrible hail, so bring your livestock inside or else your livestock will be killed by the hail. And so all the Hebrew people were wise enough to listen to the Lord and go bring their livestock inside. All of the crops would be eaten by the locusts except for the Israelite crops. With the exception of the hail, they didn't have to do a whole lot to be distinguished from the Egyptians. This is symbolism of what happens in the Old Testament. But what we will read this morning requires faith. Not just a belief. We're talking about faith 
that is an action word. Believing is something that we think it's a mental assent, but faith is something that we do. And God gives explicit instructions on how to exhibit your faith to the Israelites this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, or if you don't, feel free to take one off the back of the pew, follow along on your phone, follow along on your tablet, follow along on the screen. However you happen to be accessing the Word of the Lord, I would encourage you to take your copy and turn to Exodus chapter 12. We have a big chunk of Scripture to read this morning, and it is rich. It is full of of instruction and guidance for us. We will be reading chapter 12, verses 1 through 28. I would ask once again, if you are physically able, would you please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. As we look together now at Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month, shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn in this manner. You shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly no work shall be done on those days, but whatever, what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. 
For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leaven, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We come to this passage and there are 28 verses with a lot of repetition in those verses about you will eat it and you will eat it this way and you will do this and you will do that. Keep in mind that God is giving two separate sets of instructions You may have missed within there, there is the Passover meal, and then that is the initiation, the beginning, the inauguration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So you eat the Passover, and then from the Passover until seven days later, you are eating unleavened bread. This event is going to be so significant, you're going to start your calendar based on this event. And so the Hebrew calendar is a lunar calendar. They have 12 months, and this is the first month when Passover takes place. It's usually around March and April for us, and they have a 12-month lunar calendar, and then they have special officials that determine when they're going to add a 13th month in so that it stays correct as far as a solar calendar and, and unifies the two. But this event is so significant, their entire calendar is based off of this event. You'll be able to keep time now, Israel, because you'll always remember the year starts with Passover. You go and you find a lamb on the 10th day. You've got to keep it perfect for four days. You keep it perfect. You, you make sure there's no blemish. There can't be any blemish or any problem with the lamb. You don't go get your sloppy seconds, your leftovers. You don't go get the lamb that's got the broken leg. You don't go get the lamb that's sick and just kind of waddling around. That's not the lamb that you get, okay? You go get the one that's prancing around. I'm happy. You get the good lamb, okay? And you take that lamb, you keep it healthy and happy for four days. And on the 14th day, you slaughter that lamb. And you don't boil it. You don't do anything other than roast it, all of it. And you have to roast the whole thing. You can't let anything be left over until the morning. You see, this is a very significant event. And all of these rituals and rites are supposed to be followed so that the people will remember. 
This is the defining moment of all of Israel's history. This is what sets Israel apart from all other nations. They were slaves and now God will deliver them. And you know, I think if God had started with this, if Moses and Aaron show up and go, Hi, how you doing? I'm Moses. I'm important. I'm here to free you. God sent me. I got a staff. It can turn into a snake. We'll do that later. Don't worry about it. All I want you to do is go find a lamb and I want you to take it on the 10th day and then hold it till the 14th and then roast it. We're going to eat it. We're going to paint the blood over the doorpost and the lintel, the top part. And uh, then, we're, you know, there's going to be a destroyer that comes. It's going to kill everybody in the firstborn in Egypt. But if you got the blood on your door, you're going to be fine. How many of these Israelites are going to be like, sounds great, Moses. Let's go. I'm going to find my lamb right now. Nobody. God is bringing the Israelites along. He's showing them for nine different plagues. Hey, look at all the various 80 plus gods that the Egyptians worshipped that are not as good as the one true living God. That have no power over the one true living God. That are false in every way. And the Israelites see it just like the Egyptians. They see the darkness. They see the locusts. They see the frogs. They see the river turn to blood. They see the staff turn into a snake and eat all the other staffs. They see and understand and hear that God is doing something new and something fresh among them. The Egyptians see this as well. And and remember, the Egyptians have every opportunity to repent. The Egyptians have every opportunity to trust and believe the way that the Israelites are believing. You see, sometimes we like to think that God is very harsh and very cruel And we forget that Pharaoh ordered that all of the firstborn, all of the babies be killed because there were too many Israelites. We forget that the people heard that order from Pharaoh and nobody revolted. They just did it. And they killed all these babies, throwing them in the Nile. We forget that Egypt deserves the punishment that is coming to them. We forget that 400 some odd years ago, there was a terrible famine. There was no water to drink. There was no food to eat. And Yahweh, the one true living God, showed up through his servant Joseph and delivered all of Egypt and brought his children into Egypt to live among them in the land of Goshen and to show them the way and show them who the one true living God is. But what we read in the beginning of Exodus, what we read at the end of Genesis is that After Joseph dies, a few generations pass, and they don't remember. All the people in Egypt forget what God did for them. Not just for Israel, but for them. Delivering them from famine through Joseph. And as time passed on, they they didn't care. What's it matter? Well, it matters because you wouldn't be here if God hadn't done that. You'd be dead. There wasn't any food to eat. Ah, whatever. That doesn't affect me. Yes, it does. Because your ancestors would have died so you wouldn't exist. So everything, your existence is owed to God's intervention in your famine. Oh, when you when you put it like that, that does seem to make a little bit of sense. But what about all these other gods? I mean, there's a God that makes the sun rise, right? Yeah, his name's Yahweh. It's the same one. Well, what about the God that, you know, like makes it rain and stuff? Yeah, it's Yahweh, the same one. Well, what about the one that, like, you know, helps you have children and stuff? Yeah, Yahweh, same one. There's just one. Oh, I still like all these false gods. I'm I'm just going to keep worshiping them. That's what's going on in Egypt for 400 years. They see the Israelites crying out to Yahweh. They know who Yahweh is. They know the one true and living God. They just 
reject him. And so God makes a distinction. But remember the plague of the hail. Egyptians could hear the plague of the hail. And if they were beginning to believe that Yahweh is the one true living God, if they were beginning to remember what stories were told about hundreds of years ago about how the Israelites came in the first place, maybe they thought, I think I'll bring my livestock inside. And their livestock didn't die. The same thing is true now. God gives these instructions. And if the Egyptians believe, they're able to go and pick a lamb, and they can slaughter that lamb, and they can paint their own doorposts. There's nothing in those 28 verses that says that this is only Israel that can do this, that I'm going to pass over every Israelite door regardless of who they are as long as they're Israelite. It says I'm going to pass over the doors painted with blood. The same thing is true for the Israelites. If the Israelites don't paint their doors, it doesn't mean they're getting passed over. Who's getting passed over? The painted doors. So what do you have to do to get passed over by the death angel? You better take a lamb that is perfect. You better slaughter it. You better eat it. You better paint your doors. You better roast the rest of it. You better burn it all up and leave nothing left for the morning. Because if the blood isn't on the door, you don't get passed over. Notice that now... Their salvation and their deliverance depends on their action of believing and putting feet to that belief. Of walking in belief in such a way that they go and they sacrifice a lamb. That's a significant financial investment. Don't miss that God is telling them sacrifice a lamb. There is a lot tied to this sacrifice. It's got to be your perfect one. It's got to be the one without blemish and so if they believe if they have faith you know they have faith because they go get the lamb they sacrifice the lamb they follow the explicit instructions and folks it it happens and you might think man i'd remember that for the rest of my life but sadly that's just not how the history goes have you ever had something happen in your life that you go I'm going to remember that for the rest of my life. Significant memories, significant things that take place that you think, oh, I'll never forget that. A wedding day. Everybody, you know, a wedding day, significant event. A birth of a child, significant event. Maybe your first car, I don't know, significant event. Maybe it could be something not joyful. Maybe the death of a loved one, the loss of a child, the loss of a parent. And you think, I'll never forget this day and this moment folks if we don't practice remembering we fail at remembering no matter how significant the moment in our life is why do we take pictures what's the point of taking a picture my memory's great i'll always remember i can just close my eyes and go right back to israel with my uncle and my my brother my dad and his brother and his sister my aunt my uncle my dad we're in israel and i'm on the sea of galilee right now and i'm just riding on that boat it's great i can see oh man this is just awesome my memory's perfect so i don't need pictures i got thousands of pictures from when we were there i look through them so that i remember because if i don't i can't do that you know what i was thinking while my eyes were closed man i'm still in bethany The the light from the chandeliers was still kind of hitting the backs of my eyelids. We're terrible at remembering. That's why God repeats himself over and over in this passage. 
And he says, don't forget. He says, do this every year. And you think, oh man, this is huge. God's freeing them from slavery. This is huge. They'll never forget this. But look with me in the book of Judges. Look with me in the book of Judges. Tragically, Judges chapter 2, verses 10. Judges chapter 2, verses 10. Joshua, Moses has led the people out by God's grace. They wandered in the wilderness. Joshua's now led the people into the land. They took over some of the land, not most of the land, but some of the land. And now Joshua has died. And so in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, the word of the Lord tells us, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. If you're keeping the Passover every year, if on the 14th day of every year, of the first month of the year, you select the lamb, you slaughter the lamb, you eat it in haste, you got to change your clothes, you got to put on a belt and sandals and hold a staff while you eat, ready to run out the door. you got to then eat unleavened bread for the next seven days. That's crackers. Nothing with leaven in it. No, like, nice subs from subway we're talking about crackers for seven days if you're listening to what god has done and you're observing that ceremony and that ritual if the kids are asking why do we do this and you've got to explain to your kids every year this is why we do this then judges chapter 2 verse 10 doesn't happen but it did gets worse look with me in second chronicles second chronicles chapter 30 Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 26. Now we are all the way, about a thousand years later, maybe a little more than a thousand years, all the way to King Hezekiah. There's two countries now. There's Israel in the north. There's Judah in the south. All of this from the Passover, from God delivering these slaves, delivering them into this land. And now here they are. Just a, a, a A mirror of what they used to be. Just the slightest reflection of what they used to be. It says in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 26, So there was great joy in Jerusalem because King Hezekiah had ordered for everybody to observe Passover. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Let me give you a little history to this. Hezekiah sends word out to all the representatives and priests and people in Israel to the north. He sends word out to everybody in Jerusalem because he realizes they haven't been keeping the Passover. And so he sends this word out to everybody because he knows we got to keep the Passover. They haven't done the Passover in so long. It's already the second month of the year. But Hezekiah says, we're going to do it on the second month of the year because it's been hundreds of years since we've observed it. So he sends out word and they laugh at him. Nobody from Israel comes down to Judah. They laugh because why are you doing it in the second month? Everybody knows it's supposed to be the first month. And Hezekiah says, we are so far from the will of God. We have forgotten who God is to such a degree. We're going to go ahead and do it even though it's the second month. And there was great joy in Jerusalem at the end of this time of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread because nobody had done anything like the Passover. Nobody had observed the Passover in Jerusalem since Solomon. Hundreds of 
years, numerous lifetimes and generations passing with nobody observing the Passover. And then the next time that Passover gets observed after Hezekiah, look in Second Chronicles 35, a few chapters down. We're going to look at verses 16 to 19, Second Chronicles 35. Hezekiah reigned for 29 years. Then when he dies, his son Manasseh leads Israel for 55 years. And his son Manasseh does not follow Hezekiah. Manasseh departs and leads Israel astray. So after Hezekiah dies, 75 years pass before what we're going to read right now. Second Chronicles, verse 30, verse 16 of chapter 35. So all the service of the Lord was prepared that day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. And the people of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time and the feast of unleavened bread seven days. No Passover like this had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah. And the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem in the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. Folks, 75 years pass between Hezekiah's Passover and when Josiah institutes the Passover. King Josiah called all the people in Israel just like his great-great-granddaddy Hezekiah. This time they came down. And there had not been a Passover celebrated by any king in Israel. So after Solomon, the kingdom divides. The northern kingdom of Israel never kept Passover. Not once. And so King Josiah, he's just two kings away from the entire nation being sent into exile. He reinstitutes this because it's important to remember. We're strong in our faith when we remember. Remembering is an action word just like faith. You can't just remember in some mental ascent. You remember the way that you live. You remember by pulling out those pictures and looking through them. You remember by going back to that book and reading it again. You remember by reciting the passage that you've memorized. You remember a person's face by going and spending time with them. You remember a person's voice by going and listening to their voice. Remembering requires action. It's not just mental assent. And remembering God's deliverance meant observing the Passover. And why is this so significant? Why is it so important? The, the symbolism is laden everywhere. God's entire cup of wrath was poured out on Jesus on the cross. That's why Jesus was completely destroyed. That's why the lamb had to be completely roasted. You couldn't leave any of it till the next morning. Everything about Jesus dying on the cross happened in one day and then he went into the tomb. There was nothing left over for the next day. Jesus was the perfect lamb without blemish. There was no sin found in him. Even in Second Chronicles earlier in chapter 6, 
Solomon says every person sins. In Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody who's ever lived has sinned except the one perfect, spotless Lamb without blemish. And you think, well, how do you know that Jesus is the Lamb? I mean, we make these connections, but how do we know that Jesus is the Lamb? Look with me in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming. John the baptizer, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this. And they left John and followed Jesus. You know he's the Lamb because two different times in Scripture he says, Behold the Lamb that's perfect. Behold our God seated on His throne. Behold the perfect spotless Lamb who will die in our place. The blood that painted the doorpost is the same blood of the spotless Lamb that painted the cross. It painted the the vertical doorposts and the horizontal lintel. It painted the cross vertically and horizontally. And there's no way to be right with God except through Christ and believing in Him and remembering every single day He died for me. He died for you. You wouldn't exist without Jesus' death on the cross. I wouldn't exist without Jesus' death on the cross. Yeah, what, what's the big deal? I mean, we come, we sit through church. What's the big deal? You and I would not exist. We never would have been formed in the womb if not for God seeing thousands and thousands of years into the future, knowing the past and the present and the future are all the same, said, I got a plan and we're going to redeem them. We're not going to leave them orphaned. We're not going to leave them in treason. We're not going to leave them in rebellion. We're going to redeem them. Folks, we have to actively remember what God has done for us. If you don't think it, if you don't live it, We won't remember it and we'll be the Israelites and we'll forget the Passover and we'll be like the book of Judges. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. We'll be like the people of Israel. We get out into the wilderness and we think, oh, can't we just go back to Egypt? God has delivered those who believe in him, who have faith in him, who have called on his name from the slavery of sin. And it is our job as Christians to remember by living it. Church, can you remember, man, just as Jason said, can you remember where you were? Can you remember that feeling? Can you remember when God delivered you? Can you remember when God showed up? 
Man, maybe it's not when God delivered you and saved you from your sins for the very first time when you acknowledged the existence of God and your need for Christ. Maybe it was that time where everything was tight. There was no money left in the bank and the check that you needed showed up right on time. Maybe it was that time that your loved one was diagnosed with cancer and the doctors making their best educated guesses said they got six months left to live and that was 15 years ago. Maybe it was that time where you didn't know who you were supposed to marry or what you were supposed to do. And you were like, God, I know that I'm supposed to be with somebody. I know that you've got somebody out there for me. And God, I just I just need your help. I just need some. And boom, God brings that person that walks into your life. And they're the most godly spouse you've ever seen. Maybe you're looking and you're saying, I just want children. Lord, it's been years. I just, I just want biological children of my own. I just want kids so I can raise them to love you, God, please. And you remember that moment that you looked at that pregnancy test and God said, I heard your prayer. I'm here for you. Maybe it's that time when you got those divorce papers. And you said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't make it. This ain't going to work. And all of a sudden... This peace just overwhelmed you. Maybe it was as simple as you lost your job and you had no idea what you were going to do next or where the next check was going to come from. And that person showed up and said, hey, man, you just lose your job. You know, I got an opening over at such such a place. Maybe you even overlooked it and didn't think, oh, goodness, thank you, God, that you gave me a new job. Maybe you woke up this morning and you forgot that you shouldn't have woken up this morning. God made the sun rise. Maybe we forget that God is intimately and actively involved in every step of our lives. Through the good, through the bad, through the pretty, through the ugly, He's there. But folks, if we don't actively remember, we forget. And then we end up looking like the Israelites. You know, Josiah was that guy that missed that appointment that he really wanted to make. And he thought, oh my goodness, I can't believe I forgot this appointment. Have you ever been that person? Did you ever just completely forget? Look, right here, okay? I had to call Walt Merrill. He asked me to lead a Bible study on a Saturday morning. This is me being completely transparent with you guys. I didn't actively remember, all right? I did not set my alarm. I woke up. The Bible study was supposed to start at 8. I woke up at 8.30 because for some reason my children didn't wake up that morning. I don't know. They slept in for the only time ever. And I woke up at 8.30, and then Jessica said, hey, are you going to go to that men's Bible study thing? And I went, (gasps) I was supposed to teach that this morning. I'm trying to call Walt. I can't get a hold of Walt. I got to call Kevin. I'm like, Kevin, hey, man, I know you guys are probably enjoying the Bible study right now, but it's going to take me 30 minutes to get there. What do you think? He went, ah, don't worry about it, man. We got it covered. And I said, no, I'm sorry. I didn't remember. You see, when we actively remember, we stop, we write it down, and we we set an alarm, and we set it in our calendar. You see, that that was Josiah. And he realized, oh, my goodness, Ah, we hadn't been taking Passover. So he reinstitutes Passover. Maybe that moment for you this morning isn't that you forgot an appointment or you let a friend down. Maybe that thing for you this morning is you're finally remembering. Ah! I'm redeemed. And I've been forgetting the God who loves me. I've been forgetting the one person who cares more about me than anybody else in all of the universe. Ah! I ain't been living for Jesus. Maybe you need to take out your Bible. And go through and look at those pictures of what God's done in the past. And read and see how in spite of all of our sin, He sent His Son to die for us. And look in the Old Testament and see that we are Israel. And see that we are rebellious. 
and see how God is patient and mercy and provides them with a way of deliverance and says, look, you've got to have your sandals on because I'm telling you it's time to get up out of Egypt. Folks, maybe we've forgotten that the Lord showed up in our life and said, it's time to get up out of Egypt. I want to challenge you to remember the Lord. Let us actively remember who He is and what He's doing in our lives. If we live mindlessly, we'll forget. Take the time to remember when God saved you, when God delivered, when God showed up. Take time to remember the way that God instructed these Israelites to remember. And just as Jason said earlier, maybe you can't remember because you don't have that experience to remember. This morning, if God's never delivered you from the slavery of sin, I want you to know He is ready, willing, and able this morning. If you will call upon the name of the Lord and trust in Him, put your faith in Him, begin to follow Him and say, I want you to be my Savior, but I also want you to be my Lord. I want you to be the boss. I want you to be in charge. And I'm going to follow you, whatever you say. I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll do what you tell me to do. I'll be who you tell me to be. You trust Christ and tell Him that. He will save you. Reach out to Him this morning. And let this be the day that you mark in your calendar. And remember when God brought you up out of Egypt. Let's pray. God, thank you. That your memory is perfect. And yet, Lord, you're the only one who can forgive and then forget by choice. And you choose to cast our sins below the depths of the oceans, as far as the east is from the west. Lord, you choose to offer us forgiveness. Thank you for the perfect lamb who was sacrificed on my behalf. Lord, thank you that even though I'm wretched and even though I don't deserve it, you sent your son to die for me. I thank you that you are so merciful that you decided to keep us instead of killing us. Instead of doing away with us and making a new creation. You decided to redeem us. Lord, forgive us where we forget. And we grow careless with the grace and the mercy you've shown us. Lord, would you please move among us this morning. Cause us to be convicted to remember how you have been there through the good, through the bad. Lord, even if it's not our story, help us to remember other stories of our friends, of our family, of our neighbors, where you showed up for them. Lord, help us to be reassured in our faith by actively remembering the countless times you've showed up in our lives. Lord, we love you so very much. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.